Hey everyone, I'm Emily. And I'm Dean. And this is Hack a Week Coast to Coast. All right, episode one, which is not the first episode. First episode <laughs> is episode zero. If you haven't listened to it yet, find it, listen to it. Yeah, it was cool. Tell you a little bit about us, who we are, what we do, why we do it, things like that. So, um, busy week. What's been happening with you and uh, what are you thinking of like news of the hacker world and people that do hardware and making stuff? Any Anything going on out there? Yeah. Um, so I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess a few things. Um, I think everyone is kind of gearing up for um, for Maker Faire, um, Bay, Area, Bay Area Maker Faire. Um, I see a lot of people talking about that. And that's a little less than a month away. Um, and there's going to be a lot of people there. There's a lot of people out there from, the, at least that I know on Twitter, that are going to be there. And it sounds like it's going to be a pretty good time. We've got some, uh, what do we have? Well, you're going to be there. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm going to do a presentation. I submitted it about a month ago. They said, yeah, come on out. So got the flights reserved and the hotel booked and all that stuff. Um, money set aside and I'm on my way. Just got to cool. put together my presentation, rehearse it about two dozen times. So it becomes like muscle memory. <laughs> Can you tell us what the uh, presentation is going to be about? Yeah, it's going to be uh, pretty much about the YouTube channel I've done, how long I've been doing it, what it's like to be somebody that has a YouTube channel, how it's grown, how that uh, that whole thing evolves as you grow a YouTube channel. Because when you start out, you know, it takes you a while to even get to where you can monetize anything or you can do a video more than 10 minutes. So your first, like, I don't know, six months, seven months, you do a 10 minute video and then you get this little notification. You're now allowed to do more. I don't know if they still do that. They did that when I started. So I'll talk about all that stuff, the way it evolves, you know, and, and then of course, when you get to your first million, that's a big old hoo-ha yippee thing. And then as time goes by the numbers and the way you chase them seem to change. And, and then I'm just going to kind of go over, you know, what we've talked a little bit about here in the first episode, a little bit about my background why I do what I do, and then a little about how you can get a little sponsorship if you keep it up. You can get companies like, for me, Parallax just sends me stuff when I ask them, and if I just put a video up, that's all they ask. So I can get you know, stuff from them as a sponsor. Um, it's the way people do cell phone reviews, too. They just have companies that just go, here, here's a free phone, review it, put up a video, and you know you can do that kind of stuff. So I'm going to kind of focus on that, just what it's like to do that, and and then take some Q and A for about 20 minutes. I've set aside some time for that, which will be to me probably the funnest part. And I'm out to inspire people. That's the whole goal. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, I I am going to go um, just as a spectator this year. I a lot of people are telling me that I should have a booth, but I've never been before, and I really wanted to. I really wanted to experience Maker Faire and be able to like walk around and experience it completely because I, I had a booth at the downtown LA mini Maker Faire back in like December or November. And it was a ton of fun. Like I had so many questions from people that were really excited about my projects and like they got to try them. And that was, that was super cool. But um, like I was tethered to my seat all day and I didn't get to see a lot of the other stuff. So I thought if I'm going to go this year for my first time, I want to go and like walk around and experience everything. So I'm going to go and just like absorb everything. And I think that'll be fun. I think you're smart to do that. That's the way I did it. 2009 was my first year there. Uh, 2010 was the first Maker Faire I was ever in there. Um, just with Hack a Week stuff, I had some robots I was doing for a couple of days. 
and you're right. You're pretty much stuck right there at your booth. And how was your voice at the end of the day? Oh, I, I, I had lost my voice by like <laughs> totally 30 or something. <laughs> yeah, it just goes on and on and on. I mean, and, and it's loud. There's lots of people around. So it's not like you can just talk in a normal tone like you would you and I right now. You have to almost shout. And so by the end of the day, people come up and they ask you a question. You're like, oh, my God, I got to talk. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> So I think you're smart to do that. Just get out and, and have a good time roaming around. And um, I'm the reason I did the presentation this year instead of any kind of a booth is for that very reason, because I'm only going to have to I, do, I have yet to receive the itinerary of what day I'm doing it. I don't know if I'm doing it both days, Saturday, Sunday, or if it's just one day, probably just one day. Uh, but I've got those two days to just roam around and, and see all the stuff and just be, you know, a spectator. But for 45 minutes somewhere in there, I'm going to be a presenter. So yeah. it makes it a whole lot more fun for me because then I get to actually see stuff. Right. My friend Roger is going and he, he like really figured this out pretty well. He's like, I've got a good setup. So he is going to be a presenter, but he isn't tied to a booth because he has a mobile presentation, which is pretty cool. Um, He's going up there to present his open source JPL Rover thing that he's designed, which is really cool. It's called Soppy, S-A-W-P-P-Y. Um, really cool. He he was inspired by the JPL open source Rover, and he said like, "Hey, I, I I think I can I can come up with one on my own, and I can make it simpler and cheaper." And so he designed one that's mostly 3D printed, and it's pretty great. And so he takes Soppy all over the place, as he calls it, and. Um, so he's going to be up at Maker Fair, and he's going to be showing off Soppy, but Soppy drives around. So he gets to walk around with his display and talk to people and look at booths and walk around some more and show off Soppy. So he's going to get to see everything while being a presenter, and I think that's a pretty good setup. That's cool. That's a good way to do it. I did that at a Maker Fair here with a, a robot called Photon that was this big, tall thing that kind of just roamed around and had like five cameras on it. Um, one or two of them was recording, another one was streaming to the internet. And, you know, I got to walk around through the crowd and kind of like guide the thing along because, you know, it wasn't a perfect robot. It was just like some proximity sensors bouncing around, bumping into people and stuff. <laughs> but it was fun because I was out there interacting with the crowd. And I, at the same time, I got to walk around and, and see all the display stuff. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that, that uh, rover that he built because I wanted to do that years ago i had that same idea it's like man it'd be really cool to kind of see if you could emulate the whole curiosity rover thing you know with the six-wheeled um rocker bogey setup that can crawl over all kind of stuff and i played with it a bit and i did like a four-wheeled version but i never went as far as he did so i'm really excited to see that and meet him he seems like a really neat guy yeah roger's great and his rover is great and you know what's really fun is he gets really excited because since it's open source and everything's online like other people are taking it and they're and they're starting to make their own, which is cool. But then people are doing variations on it. And this was pretty neat. Like a couple of weeks ago, someone sent him a video. Some guy up in Canada is using part of his design, but upscaling it to build. It was like a mobility device for a friend of his, I think. But so he he printed one of Roger's Rover wheels, but he printed it like this big. It's like wow. like as big as a I don't know what like as like big as like a small ATV tire. And cool. like, wow. And he has it attached to this big motor and he shows it like spinning in his garage. And it's like, wow, like that's, that's, that's almost cooler than like people just building the, the same Rover is like people tweaking it and using it for other things, which was just super, super cool. 
Well, that's the best when you do a project and you kind of release it into the wild, so to speak, and then people do their variation on it and sometimes end up doing a better thing than you did, which is really cool to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what else, what else? Oh, um, I got some cool news yesterday. Um, I got a write up on Make Magazine's website by uh, Caleb Kraft. He That's did a cool. little write up on my YouTube channel, which is like almost brand new. Um, and I didn't even know, it, it, like there was an article up for a few days and that was just so exciting. He, he likes said some really nice things and um, that was cool. I, I've, I've never had a like that or anything so it's like, it's it's what less than a month that you had yeah. that that you know with that moniker on it you know emily's what is it emily's electric oddities that's right yeah right. yeah that's cool that's uh, congratulations way to go that's thank that's you awesome. it's always fun when you get that kind of a surprise yeah you don't, you don't know till you pick it up yourself on social media it's like oh really <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i was getting subscribers to my channel and i was like oh that's weird the algorithms must be up to something but <laughs> so right up in make magazine that's cool yeah so yeah. what have you been up to this week i had my little blow up on twitter this week with the uh the black hole of m87 that picture i've got this copy of it right here this picture and i took this and i put it in cura cura is a slicing program for 3d printing that you can import a JPEG in and it will take the lights and the darks. And depending on how you set it, either the lights or the darks are raised. And then you can set some parameters of how much they're raised, what size it is. And the minute I saw that photo, I'm like, I could put that in Cura and print a 3D model of a black hole. And so I did. And then I posted pictures of it on Twitter and it just kind of went nuts. I mean, it didn't go super viral, but it's probably the most I've ever had happen. It's just a whole bunch of retweets. And I airbrushed it, and this is it. This is this like a representation of black hole M87, and it's not really like, you know, it doesn't look like this physically. What this is is like hot gases, and the more yellow they are, from what I understand, the faster they're moving. They're being accelerated toward the speed of light as they get sucked into the hole. Yeah. So it would almost be better to print it the other way around. So I just might do that just to see what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's kind of counterintuitive because you think the hole is going to be deeper. But anyway, and people have already uh, reprinted it because I uploaded it to Thingiverse. I figured I'd put it out there and, you know, same thing, let people have fun with it. So one person uh, printed it in three colors. Another person just printed it in black. And, um, you yeah, it's fun. It was just like a, a neat little thing to do with a very exciting piece of news. Um, yeah. it, and, and Katie Bowman, I'm going to give her a shout out. Um, because people have been trolling her on Twitter going, you know, oh, yeah, you know, there was a lot more people responsible for it than just you and blah, blah, blah. But hey, you know, I mean, she was part of a team that made this happen. And she's the one that got really excited about it. And a couple of years ago, almost three years ago, she gave a TED talk about the algorithm that she led the team to develop that made that picture possible. So yeah. she does deserve the credit. And, um, it's kind of shitty that, you know, the internet does that. They People will just want to slam somebody down. And let's face it, she's, um, you know, a woman. And it was like, oh, no, there were men involved. And, yeah, you know, so, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, there's been plenty of women throughout science history that have done some wonderful things. So, yeah. anyway, my hat's off to her. She did a great job. And she does deserve the credit. So that's why I'm throwing her name out there. Katie Bowman, yeah. keep it up. Well, we're, we're all very excited because um, – 
I work at Caltech and she is joining our faculty this coming year. So I think she's gonna be starting here in June. Um, she was here on Friday to give a talk about her research and that was, it was very well attended. There was a lot of people there. A lot of people are very excited about her coming to campus and joining the Caltech community. So That's it's gonna cool. be great. Yeah. Sad news this week about Notre Dame, huh? Yeah, that sucks. That sucks so bad. A lot, of, a lot of crafty stuff in that thing that goes back hundreds of years that was lost. And initially, I thought there was a lot lost, but I've been reading articles, and it's good news is a lot of things have survived. The glass survived. Yeah, can you believe that? Well, it's amazing. I mean, it's lead. It's held together with lead, you know, so... Yeah, I think a lot of credit goes to the uh, you know the firefighters. You saw some of the the footage where you know they're spraying water on this massive fire, and there's this little stream of water, and you're like kind of going, "God, is that really doing anything?" Yeah. But I guess it does. You know, it does. They, they keep it under control and keep it from turning into some ferocious blaze, and they saved a lot of it. Um, I guess the organ is still there. It's going to obviously need to be taken out, clean, rebuilt, etc. Yeah. But it survived. There's over 7,800 pipes in that. Yeah, thing. Can you believe that? And they're made of lead. They're made lead and lead alloys. Yeah. And I read up on that. It's because of the tonality of lead. Yeah. It's it's dense, so it doesn't like get a lot of harmonic resonances and stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah. For Bradley Gothrop on Twitter, yeah. uh, also known as Tall, Dark, and Weirdo, he used to um, his former career was was working on organ. Uh, organs in churches, et cetera, various places. And he would rebuild them, I guess, refurbish them, make the pipes, remake pipes, et cetera. And he posted like a, a pretty long thing on Twitter that day. And it was it was kind of a lament of how sad he felt at the loss of it because he didn't know at the time. And when you're someone who is in that field and you know that you know what goes into making a thing like that, and you know that it could just basically just be melting into a big piled slag of lead. Of course, it's going to be, it's a form of grief, you know, and he felt pretty sad about it, but yeah. it's good. It's good that a lot of it survived. I was really surprised. So many things did. I think he put it in like really good human terms because um, like, I think we as makers, all of us like know how much of like your blood, sweat and tears and your heart and soul goes into the things you make. And he, he, tweeted a little bit about like, this was before we knew that the organ had survived, but it, it extends to like a lot of things in that church of how many of those things in that church were like the best work that someone ever did. Yeah. Like, that was some craftsman's like finest work. And as he put it, like for some of these people, like the fire is like a second death, you know, they died, exactly. you know, back in the 1200s but like they lived on through their work and then their, when their work goes up in flames, like that's it. Like they've been like the last thing surviving of them has been erased. And like, that was just such a touching way to put it. Like it, it kind of like choked me up a little bit to read about it thinking about it that way. It did. I, I kind of got teared up a little bit too reading his, his post. So anyway, thank you Bradley for doing that. Um, He's a pretty neat guy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's a character. We should have him on the podcast sometime. So yeah, maybe we can have him on as a guest. Yeah. That'd, that'd be, be great. Fun. Well, I guess we can move on to the fail of the week. Sure. I so go. why don't you go? Because I don't know if I have one. So let's let's hear your fail of the week. You made it through the week without a fail. So I think I did. <laughs> I'll, I'll clap for you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this one happened at work. Um, 
You know, every day I'm working on older cars. I was working on a 1963 Porsche 356, all restored, beautiful car. It's gorgeous. And uh, it had had some modifications done to the shifter in the center console area kind of thing. It would be a console on a new car. It's just the tunnel on an old car. And it has a uh, really hot-rotted VW-based engine in the back instead of the Porsche engine. So they had to modify the shifter mechanism. And there was something that had loosened up, so I had to get in there and, and rework it and tighten it back down. And it was the thing that held the whole shifter, and it was kind of flopping around. It was hard to shift. And I got all done, and there's this cover that went on, and I noticed there was holes in the side where there were screws, and somebody that worked on the car at some point left those screws out. So I said, well, I'll, I'll anchor this back down with some screws. Mm -hmm. because that's how I am. I like to just like put stuff back the way that it ought to be. So if somebody had anchored it once with screws, I'll do it again. So I got these little screws out of my, you know, bin of various screws I have. Screwed everything in place. It was great. Got all done. Went to start the car. Car had been running great. Turned the key. Nothing. Mm. Like, oh, God. Turned the key again. Nothing. And then I turned the key on. And I just left it there for a minute. And I tried it a couple more times. I'm like, well, that's weird. Why isn't it going? And yeah. I'm thinking about it with the key on, and I start smelling. <laughs> uh -oh. Start smelling that burnt plastic around wire smell, and I just went, "Oh my god, what's going on here?" You know, and the key's still on, and I'm seeing just smoke, just ambiently kind of you know, the magic smoke. Yeah, but in you know, <laughs> in a nice car like that, that magic smoke can go exponentially bad really quick. Mm -hmm. In a wire harness of a car, if something starts to short out, it gets hot, it melts. Now it's touching another wire now it's got conductivity through that wire somewhere else then that's eventually leading to a ground now that wire gets hot that wire now melts another wire you see where this is going you can actually yeah. fly an entire wire wire harness real quick so i turn the key off and in those in those moments like this there's like two parts of me there's the one that's thinking rationally and going here are the steps you need to follow and then there's the one off to the side that's a little observer going Okay, so now you're you're thinking good. You're thinking turn the key off. That's good. Now you got to pull that hood release. Where is that? Where is it? Where is it? No, that's the one for the gas door. Yeah, pull that one. That's a hood release. Okay, good job. You're doing okay. There's still time. Get under the hood, right? Lift the hood. No, wait. Don't just keep yanking on it. Pull on that little extra release. Lift the hood up. All right. Get that wire off the battery. Oh, I need a wrench. No, it's a loose nut. Let me just turn it off. No, it's going to take too long. Just grab a pair of wire cutters. Go over the thing. Grab wire cutters. Bam. Okay. No more power. <laughs> and it was okay. It didn't fry anything. It was a big eight-gauge wire that led to another thing. And it got pretty warm, but it didn't, didn't cook anything, fortunately. So yeah. I ended up putting the thing back together with a different screw, <laughs> moved the wire harness out of the way, and it was okay. It's just that the wire harness was in the tunnel in such a way where it was just sitting like this, and the screw just barely touched it. So yeah. it wasn't a lot of surface area and electricity moves over the free surface area of a wire. So it was this tiny little spot. That's probably what saved it. If it would have been a little deeper, could have gotten ugly. Yeah. So there was my fail of the week. And you know, who would have known I was screwing something into a wire harness. I mean, it right. was just one of those things, you know. Right. You don't know. <laughs> yep. Can we talk about the like the little voice? Because I think we all have had that experience. <laughs> voice, right. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. Usually that little voice, when, when I hear that little voice, it's usually telling me like, 
it's usually like a warning voice, like I'm doing something. And then the little voice is telling me like, you shouldn't be doing this thing that you're doing. And then usually I'm like, no, it's fine. And then whatever I'm doing isn't fine. And then immediately I regret what I've done. Um, I remember once I used to have a VW bus and I, part of the floor was rusty and I was cutting out a piece, the rusty part to replace it with fresh sheet metal. And I was using my angle grinder and I had, um, I had already cut out the hole and I was cleaning the metal, like the, the fresh cut edge. I was cleaning it with like one of those wire wheels that goes on your angle grinder. And I was kind of in an awkward position because of just like where it was and how I had to stand inside of there. And so like I'm holding it and like the cord for the angle grinder keeps like sort of swaying in the direction of the wheel. And I think to myself like, you should probably get in a different position because like it shouldn't be getting near the wire wheel. But I like, I just was like, no, it's fine. And then like one second later, like the cord got sucked into the wire wheel. And like before I could even realize what was happening, it like it sucked the whole thing, wrapped it around the wire wheel and it yanked, it yanked the extension cord along with it. So the extension cord came out of the wall where it was like 10 feet away and came like a bull whip and it whipped me on the butt. <laughs> and it on the butt it retribution. It left like it left me like with a bruise that looked like the sideways profile of like a plug, like an extension cord. <laughs> That's wild. So, oh, so I had to replace the cord on the angle grinder and everything, but I swear, like there's always that little voice that's like the logical voice that's talking to you in your head that you're ignoring. And I, oh, I yeah. Think, yeah, yeah, right? Like, you, oh, I'm smarter than that. No, yeah, no, no, I'm not gonna listen to you. I got this. <laughs> I think right. that like, as right you get you don't. and you work on things more, you start to like learn to trust that little voice because uh -huh. like You've been burned enough times that you're like that voice knows better than I do. So yep. like, just listen to it when it tells you that you're doing something stupid. Exactly. I got enough scars on these ten digits here to <laughs> I listen now. But I've I've done the same thing as you. Actually, the exact same thing with a wire wheel wrapped one around a, a, a grinder, and it just jumped out of my hands. It yanked it out of the wall, and that's what killed the power. You know, because it was one of those switches that you put on and it stays on. Yeah. It wasn't like the dead man switch kind of thing yeah. they call it. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a, I almost, almost really hurt myself bad once. There was a company actually made for a four and a half inch grinder a wheel this big that had a chainsaw blade around. Oh, it. I've seen those. Yeah. Yeah. And there was no guard on this thing. And I just started working on this job site. And they, and they were like, you know, here, take this on this piece of wood and start grinding off some of the bark. We're going to use this as an ornamental element in this house. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out which way this thing's spinning because I know it's going to kick really hard. I grew up around chainsaws. I'm like, man, this is gnarly. Then there's no guard. This is scary. Yeah. And, and so I'm holding it and it did this and it just walked out of my hands. It flew out of my hands and it had one of those switches that's on until it's not. Yeah. And it flew out of my hands and it hit my leg about three inches below my crotch hit my pants and I had on like cargo pants and it, it went like this about eight times, wound up the cord, unplugged the cord and then just stayed there on my leg. Wow. And I felt it hit my skin. And so I was like, Holy shit. And I, I kind of unwound it. I had a hole like this big, you know, my pants, a couple of them. And I looked and I had this, this nice little arc that wasn't bleeding yet. Cause it was just like that kind of a fresh cut that hasn't yeah. had a chance to bleed. It just looked white. And it was just this little, little arc like this, like I said, about three inches below my good deals. 
<laughs> and that was like, it was one of those moments where I looked at it and I went, and you went right to like, oh my God, what could have happened there? I'm not gonna stop thinking about this and I'm taking this tool and I'm putting it back into the cabinet and I'm never touching it again. <laughs> Screw this thing. There's gotta be a better way to do this. That scared the crap out of me. It was just one of those things where you just start thinking about it and it almost made you sick to your stomach what could have happened. I mean, it could have severed my friggin' artery in my leg too. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But God, what a dangerous tool. I was just like, mm -hmm. And so I saw some other people using those around the job site, and I'd tell them, like, man, be careful with that thing. It'll take a leg yeah. off. Yeah. You know, they have a better thing now that's, like, less dangerous, but it's for carving wood. And it, like, because those things were are great for carving wood, but, yeah, they're super dangerous. But they have a – it's sort of like a it's like a metal disc that's sort of, like, curved out on the edges, and it's almost like a rasp, right? Like, so it's just a spinning rasp. And it's still, like, nothing to, like – be careless with because like anything you put on an angle grinder is like super dangerous but yeah like it 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 is like a rasp that's like grinding the wood away instead of having teeth that are like cutting the wood away and they they work very well from what i understand but like you're not going to like slice your arm off with it so i've thought about getting one to play with when i do woodworking i haven't gotten around to it yet but i probably will eventually let's look that up that's pretty neat yeah yeah they're cool <clears throat> Um, so what do we have next? Um, Got any life hacks? Yeah, life hacks. Um, so my brother, my brother's really into thrifting. He loves going to thrift stores and picking stuff up. And he found this little drill press. It's like a little baby drill press. It's really cute. It's a little Taiwanese drill press, but it's probably like, I don't know, 16 inches tall, little tiny one. Um, and he's been restoring it for, I don't know, six months. Cause like whoever had it left it outside and it was all rusty. And so he decided like, I'm going to, I'm going to strip all the paint off of it. And he gave it like a nice, like hammered, like a baby blue hammered metallic paint job. He like cleaned all the, like the shiny bits up. So they're not rusty anymore. And he took the motor apart because the motor had some rust and he cleaned it off. And the motor had a plastic fan on it for just kind of blowing air over the coils. And he was replacing the bearings. And so he, put the motor in the freezer to get the armature cold. Cause you know, like you can put, you can put sometimes like if your tolerances are right, you can put like an, a shaft in the freezer and like warm up the bearing and then yeah. it expands enough. So you yeah. don't need to press. So he did that. And then he, he left it in there overnight cause he forgot about it. And then the next day he pulled it out and he was like, Oh man, this thing's really cold, like too cold to hold. So he was like trying in a real hurry to get the bearing on there. And he like set it in such a way on like his workbench that when he like tapped the bearing, the fan hit the workbench and the fan was like frozen and it shattered into like a million pieces. Oh. So like he didn't have the plastic fan for the motor anymore. And he couldn't find one that that was like the right size. And he was like, do you, so he texted me and was like, do you know anywhere I could get one of these fans? And I was like, no, but I know where we can make one. <laughs> and I was like, get your calipers, give me the dimensions. I'm going to model something in CAD and we're going to 3D print it. And so um, he got the dimensions and he uh, came over on Saturday and we 3D printed. Like, I don't want to print the whole thing because like print the whole thing and it doesn't fit. Then it's like, all right, we got to wait two hours again. So I just printed like the hubs in like slightly different sizes, like 5,000. Yeah, smart. 
tested them to see which one fit good. And I was right. like, all right, that's the one that fits. Let me adjust the CAD model. We printed it out, like tapped it on and it like, it fit really good. And then he took it home and he put it all together and he sent me a video and like totally works. Like I was like, I've never printed a fan before. I don't know how this thing is gonna run at 1700 RPMs. Is it gonna be out of balance? Like, I don't know, but it worked great. Like, and I was so excited, like, cause now That's his cool. press works again. And I was like, just this so, so cool. Like, like what a world to live in. Like as much as 3D printers are a pain in the ass all the time because they're slow and they break and they're fussy and whatever. Like, how cool is it that like, we live in a world where like, you need a new part, you can design it on your computer and then yeah. print it out from a machine sitting in your living room in like two hours. Like that just blows my mind still. Oh, that's the best. To me, that's where 3D printers shine is when they turn into a tool. Yes. They can make you a part you need. You know, you just like you dream it up in CAD and then print it out. That's pretty cool too that you did the tolerance thing so you don't have to waste the time printing an entire part that's not gonna not gonna fit. Just do the, the central part center part uh, until you get the fit right and then print the whole thing. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, what about you? Got any life hacks this week? Not from this week, but I, I remembered something I did um, years ago. I needed, I was doing some work and I needed a table saw and I couldn't afford to buy a table saw. Okay. But I'd seen this thing done before. I had like an extra circular saw. So I, I flipped the circular saw upside down. I sliced out like a, a, about a half inch wide slot, maybe 10 inches long in this piece of um, MDF. And then I had like uh, one of those kind of as a copy of a Black & Decker Workmate, you know, a little fold out table. Yeah. yeah. And I put, I screwed it to the top of that. And then I just anchored the, the table saw to the bottom of it with the blade poking up through. Okay. And so then I could just adjust the blade up and down. And then I just had a, like a, a piece of angle iron. Mm -hmm. And I marked out some lines with a carpenter square on the, of, you know, like every quarter inch. And then I put like, you know, labeled them like one inch, two inch, whatever on the board away from the blade itself. And then when I wanted to rip something two inches, I'd just take my piece of angle iron, put it on there, clamp it in place with two, you know, <laughs> clamps. And then I'd use that to make my cut. <laughs> it was just like the world's dirt simplest table saw and I used that thing for like two or three years that's great <laughs> yeah it was great it was really simple it worked quite well and you know I could just raise the like I said I could raise the you know thing up and down just with the depth of cut that was built into the into the um circular saw to begin with you know it was a little sketchy sometimes you had to be really careful of how you got the you know the piece of angle iron had to be really parallel if it wasn't you'd know right away it would start to pinch and you'd yeah. shut the thing off yeah but yeah, think, that, was, that was a neat little one I did once. I think that um, these kind of things are just, maybe these are kind of the kind of things that people don't think about as much like in the maker community is like how much when you're working on a project, like how many like mini projects there are in making a project because like so often like we're working on something that requires like specialized solutions to what we're doing that we have to like improvise so many things and so many times those improv improvisations become projects in and of themselves. So like you needed a table saw and you made a table saw. Yeah, like, you like make a tool so you can get the job done, you know? Yeah, yeah. Some little special widget or whatever you need. You've done that plenty of times in projects. And it can be all kinds of projects, anything, woodworking, electronics, whatever, you know, just get the job done, do whatever you gotta do to make it happen. That's right. <clears throat>
Um, how about current projects? Um, what are you working on right now? Um, a little at a time, finishing up the video for um, the making of that that printing of the uh, M87 thing. I actually shot video of when I airbrushed it and all that stuff. So kind of throwing that one together. And started uh, a mechanical tremolo project based on the idea that you talked about in the last podcast of a sliding potentiometer and a little spring on it to make it return back to, you know, off whatever you want to call it. It's not really off, you know, just one one position or the other. And then um, some kind of a little mechanism with a motor and a cam where it will just move back and forth. So you're just pushing on it and the spring brings it, brings it back down to, you know, a neutral position and then back and forth. So I want to take it a step further with a 3D printed three-dimensional cam. Cool. Which I found out about from older fuel injected cars had a mechanical fuel pump that had a 3d cam in it mm. when you hear 3d cam you kind of it's hard to wrap your head around what the hell is a 3d cam but you know a cam is basically something that's just you picture a circle and then you put a hole through it offset from the center and you anchor it to a shaft and as you spin it any given point is going to be like moving up or down so if you were to just look at a place where you're attaching something to that spinning cam let's just say overhead as it spins around where it can rub against the cam is going to be going up and down all the time yeah a three-dimensional cam starts out at a smaller diameter it's all still offset that same way but then as you move if you're looking at it from the side let's just say as you move left to right the cam gets bigger Okay. And so now you have the ability to change the stroke of it by moving the cam in relation to the push rod that's rubbing against it. Move the cam over to the area that's larger. Now you have a longer stroke. Okay. And that's the way they actually did early fuel injected um, okay. motors was if it had more load, it moved the cam physically along with the throttle plate. It just moved that three-dimensional cam to a a longer stroke, which gave it more gas. Real simple, it's very linear kind of a device. So I could do that with the tremolo. And what that would do is it would be the depth control on the tremolo. So, you know, like as in volume, you've got wow, wow, wow. So it's tiny, it would just be a little bit. But if you move that cam over to the mm -hmm. highest point, you've got more travel in the potentiometer. So you get wow, wow, yeah. wow. And then you have it on a motor, so you got speed, so you yeah. got speed and depth control in one. And I want to use the 3D printer to make all those pieces and the mounts and everything that's going to hold it together. I've got the basic components. I got a little motor, spin it. I've got a slide potentiometer. I got a couple of little springs that seem to be about the right tension to make it all happen. So, and you know, they're all in a little plastic bin. I took a picture of them, put them on Twitter the other day. <laughs> and you, you knew what it was. And so, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so that's coming along. That'll be kind of fun to see it to its fruition and how it works out. Yeah. So if I understand the cam correctly, um, it, it's sort of like cone, conical shaped, but like sort of like a like a lumpy cone, like kind of like a squished cone. Is that kind of like more or yeah, less? If you, if, you if you think of a cone, but then take the tip of it and offset it to one side from center. Okay. In relation to the bottom larger part of the cone. Gotcha. Yeah, and then you put a shaft through that, spin it, and there you go. You got a three-dimensional camshaft. As you move it back and forth, you've got a longer stroke. 
Cool. And then speed it just determines, you know, how fast that that wow 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 sound happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be kind of neat. And I love stuff like that, as I mentioned before, that's that's you know, where you're marrying mechanical analog to you know an audio sound and instead of doing it digitally or whatever do it with something just purely mechanical so yeah it'd be kind of fun see how it comes out cool um how about you what are you doing yeah this week uh so i think last week i mentioned that my friend roger and i were working on powering up a vacuum fluorescent display that i had salvaged out of an old like vcr timer tuner thing right and a couple of weeks ago, we got the thing out and we got it to, we got it so that we could like manually power up like the the segments of the seven segment displays inside of it. Um, kind of with the whole like cobbled together thing where we had, we had a, a power supply from a printer that I had taken apart, like giving us the high voltage and by high voltage, it's like 30 volts, the high voltage to accelerate the electrons across this, this tube. And then we had another power supply heating the filament and we had like just a little like a probe wire basically that I would use to poke all the pins and see things light up, right? And Roger got pretty excited about that because I don't think that either of us really thought necessarily that we were going to get this thing to work because I had never played with a, a vacuum fluorescent display before. Um, but we did, and he got pretty excited. So he spent all of last week um, writing code for a pick and like building a board that had a pick and some um, demultiplexer chips, and then these chips called the ULN2003 that are basically like a high voltage, like a, it's a chip that can handle high voltage. And so you give it an input on like pin one and then over on pin like 16 or whatever, it'll, it'll ground out 30 volts. It'll just send it to ground. And when it's not, when it's not getting that input, the 30 volts is just floating over there. So he built all of that last week, and on Monday, I brought my vacuum fluorescent display, and he brought his board, and like, we just started wiring things up, and like, we got it all together, and we're like, all right, it's like the moment of truth. Let's like power this thing on. And so I plug in the, I plug in the filament heater power supply because we still have like several power supplies. P plug in the filament heater power supply. Plug in the thirty volt power supply. Plug in the the Raspberry Pi that's controlling the pick and nothing happens. And we're like, oh shoot, like what did we do wrong here? But then I remembered um, my friend Rue Moore from Twitter had told me if you're gonna use DC or if you're gonna use AC to heat your filament, which you should, you need to bias the filament. And he recommended like biasing it with five volts. And I was like, I was like, oh wait, I wonder if it's cause we don't have the filament biased. And um, so unplug everything like hooked up a couple of resistors and like a five volt wire to bias it, plug it in, boom, the whole thing lit up. Like the segments were all flashing, like Roger's, like the little animation that Roger made. And it was like, holy shit, it's working. Like I didn't think it was gonna work that well, and it worked. Um, so that was super cool. Then we got cut short because the meeting was over at eight o'clock. But um, we are going to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start building like a permanent power supply for that thing. So we don't have to have like multiple power supplies, like transformers and cords and whatever. I want it all on one board, all coming out of one transformer. So I'm gonna start working on that. Uh, and I think next week we'll see what we can do with it. Roger's writing more code for it. So um, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, 
I got re-inspired to start working on this thing I was I was playing around with back in February. Um, people might, if they if they follow Adafruit at all, they might have seen back in like Halloween, Adafruit released this thing called the Halloween, and it's it's a little board and it it's got a microcontroller on it, or I guess it's it, I don't know what it's got. It's a little, it's a little processor, and it runs, um, it runs Python, and the board itself looked like a little skull, and like the demo that it came with is that the little LCD on the board shows an eyeball that looks around, so it was like pretty appropriate for Halloween because it's a skull with this like disembodied eye just sort of looking around, <laughs> and I, I had salvaged a tiny little cathode ray tube out of the viewfinder of a camcorder. I don't know, like last year sometime. And it's little, it's round. And it's like the screen of it is like the size of a nickel maybe. So it's really little. And I was, I had been trying to think like, what do I want to display on this thing? And then I, I just one day I was like, Hey, like the Halloween eyeball, like this little screen, like this screen would look great with a little eyeball like on it. Since it's already round, it would be so cool to have an eyeball looking around. And so I started digging into that and like, it was not going to be as simple as just like porting the code over from the Halloween to a Raspberry Pi like I wanted to. So at SparkleCon back in February, um, this this friend of mine that I made at SparkleCon, Jaron Havel, um, find him on Twitter, and I like tinkered around with this thing. And ultimately, what I did was sort of a cheat in that we just recorded a video of the Halloween running like close up, and then. I have that video running on a loop on a Raspberry Pi being displayed on that little tiny screen. And I got re-inspired to work on that. So um, I think I'm going to, I did a little sketch um, a few days ago. Let me see if I can pull it up here. I did a little sketch a few days ago while I was in a meeting. Don't tell anyone that I was goofing around in a meeting. Um, I did a little sketch of like what I want to do with it. And um, let's see if I can find it here. And it's going to be kind of like a little arm. Okay, let's see if I can do a screen share here. Screen share, screen share, screen one, share. Okay, let's see here. Can you can you see that, Dean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So for the people that are listening to this and not watching, it's basically like a little arm with like three joints, and the the cathode ray tube display will be at the top. And it's going to have a little lens in front of it just to kind of magnify it a little bit. It looks like the little Pixar lamp. <laughs> yeah, kind of like the Pixar lamp, right? Well, I guess yeah. Pixar was like run by Tim Burton, maybe. Um, <laughs> and so um, I'm going to, I decided to like do something even more fun with it because what I really like to do with some of my projects is work with animal bones. And I have a bunch of animal bones. I have like bags of animal bones in my closet that I've, that I've cleaned from, from dead animals that I found and I haven't used them for anything and I've been looking for an excuse to use them and I have a bunch of like little arm bones and leg bones and so I think I'm going to assemble the arm out of bones rather than like metal pieces that so it's going to be like a jointed little bone arm thing with electronics sort of wrapped around it and attached to it with this eye block <laughs> brilliant that's going to be such a neat piece of art yeah so I think I want to work on that this weekend that's cool. uh, I think that's it for this week I think that's plenty though yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, mean, I was thinking about that CRT thing. I've got one of those two that I pulled out of. Well, I got two of them. I got one I found recently, 
the other one is everything's mirror image because it was bouncing through a mirror and then you look at it. So everything's backwards. Not sure how to flip all that around. I'll it's, research it's actually that. pretty easy. Um, yeah. So some of them, you've probably already looked, some of them have a, a little switch on them. So like look first because some, oh, okay. some of those, they, they, they let you flip it because the camcorder would let you move the viewfinder from one side of the camera to the other, depending on if you were left-handed oh, or right-handed. So some of them have a tiny little switch that if you flip, it flips everything. Yeah. If it doesn't, um, it's it's pretty simple. Is that you just have to figure out. It's probably it's going to be flipped horizontally. Yeah. So figure out there's going to be four wires that go to your that go to your uh, deflection yoke, and two of those wires are going to be for horizontal deflection, and two will be for vertical deflection. Right. To flip it horizontally, you just have to take the two horizontal wires and just like turn them. So like they probably plug into the board in, with like a little connector. So you're just reversing the polarity of each one. You're of reverse them, them and then the image will be reversed. Oh, okay. So it's really pretty simple. Well, I've got a second one that doesn't have a, a a prism in it or anything. So it's just, you know, it is what it is. It's just what the, the camera sees. Mm -hmm. And I've got a camera around here that was one of my first Hackaweek cameras. That's a 720p camera. I was thinking of taking that apart and keeping some of the electronics and just mount them exposed basically with the little, you know, CCD that's in there and make like a pair of glasses. And then on one side, put the little CRT. And then on the other side is the camera. So when I walk around and people are looking at me, they're seeing in the little CRT what I see. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> and then just carry a little like 12 volt battery in my backpack. Yeah. Thinking about making that before Maker Faire and just walking around the floor with it on. <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's like, just been kind of fun. Yeah, like Dean's point of view. That's cool. Yeah. And incidentally, um, I want to come up with for Maker Fair too. And since we're both going, maybe we can you can think about this too. Future project. Um, you know, the whole badge thing it, that just has exploded. You go to a conference yeah. and it's all about the electronic badge. Well, when I was at the first Maker Fair I was at, before anybody was doing anything with badges, that morning I got my badge and I went. I need to do something cool with this. So I got digging through some electronic stuff I had with me. I found a flashing LED and a little coin cell and just stuck it all together, drilled a hole through my badge. And just all day I had a little flashing LED on my badge. <laughs> so it was like, you know, a badge hack before there was badge hacks. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of something that I can do with it when, you know, I go there, I can just take this little thing and stick it on my existing Maker Faire badge and sure. turn it into a little electronic hacked badge of some sort. Something. Yeah. Yeah. That's something to think about. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll be interested to see what you come up with because that sounds kind of fun. Yep. Um, so I think that this week for my um, surprise hack of the week, I want to give a shout out to a guy who is featured on Hackaday. He is, he is replicating these very retro Texas Instruments LED alphanumeric displays. These things are called the TI, the TIL305, I think it's called. Let me see here. I think I've heard of that, actually. That's yeah, TIL305. They're very distinctive looking. And I'll pull up a I'll, – I'll screen share again for people that are watching on YouTube. Um, they're very distinctive, and they're very cool looking. So you see these things, like, oh, they're just freaking cool, right? Like, like – red resin, like a little grid of like LED dyes, like super cool stuff. Um, 
and like they're very retro so accordingly like they have they have become popular and like thus they have become rare and expensive um so they're not so easy to find anymore they weren't made in like a bunch of numbers anyway in the first place and now they're like dating back to the 70s and like everyone's like grabs what they can and like they're, they've used them on stuff so this guy has a nice hackaday.io project where he is recreating these in multiple colors and since like tech is so much better now like he just is making little pc boards where he has little grids of little smd leds neat yeah and so they're they're pretty simple it's just like on a little pc board with headers um and then he's got his numbers but like he went a step further and he he laser cut little plexiglass little acrylic like covers to go over them oh, and man. like so these ones that are right here in this gif like those look those look so close to the original right like yeah i mean I, I i would not have realized that those were not the real thing just by looking at them from there and you know what i'll bet you his draw less power than the early ones because early leds i had an led calculator in high school and that thing would last two double a's it would burn through them in like two days yeah right the leds then drew a lot more power to, to light them up it seems and it's like um for people listening from what i'm seeing on the matrix it's five across and seven tall yeah so it's a five, five by seven it looks like and the ones he did it looked like to be the same five by seven yeah and he even made the traces like follow the same path uh as the original ones so like it looks substantially similar yeah. But since, you know, we're in the modern era here, like you can do them in any color and he has them in blue and he has them in yellow and he has them in orange and green. And, they're just cool. So cool. and I love projects like this because like, you know, this isn't something like he's doing it because he thinks it's cool, but like, this is not just like a project to benefit himself. Like this is something that like he's made available to the community. Like, like, now other people have like the design files yeah like, other people can make these if they want um and even if he decides to like make them and sell them on tindy or something like now people can like use those they can get that look that they want for their projects that they couldn't have otherwise gotten because these things have become just too rare and too hard to find i think that's, that's, really that's cool. so cool that that like that sense of like helping out the community i i think that's just such a cool thing about the maker community is how many people do things because like they want to see other people succeed as well. Oh, totally. It's like every video I put out there is like that. You know, I look at not only like, you know, of course you're looking for some validation and, you know, like a pat on the back for what you did. Look at, look at me. I did this thing and everybody's like, Hey, that's cool. But the best for me is when somebody does that project or that like, you, like we discussed earlier, they improve on it and then they maybe put a video up or even better still they're you know, um, inspired enough to start their own channel or a blog or whatever and start sharing the things that they do. That's the best when, when that happens. And, and that's exactly, it's just what the whole cool thing is about the maker community, how everybody yeah. shares ideas and just bounce it off each other and you inspire each other all the time. It just keeps yeah. going back and forth. Well, you've, you've honestly been like a huge inspiration to me to like get my YouTube channel going. Cause like, I just, it was always like, well, maybe I should do it because like people seem to like, they seem to be interested in my projects and maybe like 
I should do it just so they can like see what I'm doing and like learn from from what I'm doing. But I always felt like kind of intimidated to start a YouTube channel because it was like, oh, it's going to be a lot of work. I don't know if people are going to like what I do. I, like maybe I'm going to look dumb on camera. Um, but like you've just been so inspiring and encouraging and like oh, that. That's, so much. that's good to hear. I like your channel. I like your style of what you're doing because it's mostly I think you're doing it right because if there's one thing I've learned um, in the years of doing it is that my average time for a video is probably 15 to 20 minutes. I've got a few short ones, but a lot of them end up being 30 minutes long. They're like a, you know, like an episode of something you'd watch in TV. Mm -hmm. but my viewer retention, no matter what, still hovers between four and six minutes. Yeah. On the analytics. So if you do a short video, chances are people are going to watch the entire video quicker and everybody's visual. I can say words in a video about something and the comments will say something about you never, you know, didn't didn't say this or you didn't say that or you blah, 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 because they didn't watch the entire thing. And then invariably some commenter will say, no, dumbass, you know, be patient at, at three minutes and 52 seconds. He said this, you know, and then they'll put the timestamp there. And then, you know, the, so <laughs> people will point out that, you know, if you just pay attention, but the, the difference with your videos is a lot of them are just very short and they've got like a little cool soundtrack running in the background. You might like overdub a couple of things with the voice, but it's mostly just quick visual showing what's important, showing what you're doing. Here's how I started. Here's the little steps it took to get here. Here's me sawing this part. Here's me screwing it together, doing this, doing that. And there it is done. And now let me slow back down to real time and show you the thing all finished. And that's, that's cool. That's a good way of doing it. And you've actually inspired me to start doing videos that way a little bit. Yeah. I like that concept. And I think that's the way I want to start doing them more and more. I was kind of leading that way uh, as doing voiceovers on somewhere. Just shoot a bunch of video instead of setting up shots, looking at the camera. Now I'm going to put a screw in this part. You know, that's boring. Nobody wants yeah. to watch that. <laughs> so I started editing out a lot of that crap. Like, okay, I got 20 screws to put in. Here's me starting the first one. I'm now I'm done. There's number 20. Let's move on just like that. So, but now I think I want to start doing a little less of the voice stuff and more of the visual because that's the way people are. They just want to just see something really quick, really fast paced. They don't want to spend any more than 10 minutes and get right to the end result. And, you know, I, I wish I could say that like it was, it was born out of me being clever or something, but honestly, like that style of video is born out of like that. I just hate listening to my own voice on video <laughs> and I hate editing my own voice on video because I say the same thing like 10 times before I get it right. And I have to <laughs> myself, like flood my line, like for 15 minutes. And I was like, Oh my God, this is just the worst part of making videos. So let me that just is. figure out a way to not subject myself to that. Yeah. I've been through that. It's just over and over again, repeating the same line. And you know, you're, I've got bloopers that show that <laughs> tons of them. I mean, I've only done one blooper in like nine years of doing this. I could probably do like 10 blooper channel or blooper videos. There's lots of them. Yeah. It's fun. I still like doing it. I just don't have so much of the time anymore to do it. There's just a lot more things that have come up in my life, like the business and, and the house. My wife and I are going to sell this house. We're going to move this year. There's a lot of stuff going on. So once I get settled in the new place in the next year, I think things will kind of get back into a groove again and I'll start doing more um, more stuff on, on the Hack a Week channel. But in the meantime, I'll just do some short ones. Right. Stay in touch with everybody. So 
Great. Well, on that note, um, I don't think I have anything else. Do you have anything else for tonight? No, I think that's about it. It's about time to wrap it up. So. All right. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in again. Um, and that that's our show. And you can find us on uh, Twitter. I am um, at Hack a Week on Twitter. And I am at MLE underscore online on Twitter. And then, of course, the uh, links will be in the video here for where you can listen to it on SoundCloud and Anchor. Um, started putting stuff on Anchor, which is a place to anchor your podcast. And uh, we're going to try that out for a little bit, see how it works. But there will be SoundCloud, too, and the uh, audio file here uh, on YouTube, which you can just listen to as audio in your car and your phone. Just mm -hmm. on YouTube and listen away. So hope you enjoyed this one. We'll be back with another one. And until next time, keep on hacking. Bye. Bye.